Today I'm joined by Stephanie Cordray. That's my mom. Hey guys. So we're going to talk about the April 20, April 2018 teacher walkout. April 2nd, 2018, teachers across Oklahoma walked out of their classrooms to march at the Oklahoma State Capitol building. The goals of the strike included $10,000 pay raises for teachers as well as a $1,200 raise for support staff. Um, <clears throat> the walkout was caused by ongoing education cuts, and the media fairly well covered the strike as a win for teachers who did receive a $6,000 salary raise, and support staff received their goal of $1,250 a year. But teachers initially demanded the repeal of a capital gains tax exemption, meaning they wanted rich people to pay their share of taxes. However, many of the taxes implemented are paid by average citizens. But that's not all. Budget cuts to classrooms made their raises mostly mute due to teachers buying their own classroom supplies out of pocket. Someone, whom I know very well, who just introduced herself and raised me, ran for office after this event. Um, so we're going to do this episode a little differently. I'm going to kind of interview my mom today. Whoop, whoop. Are you nervous? Nope. Okay. I'm a little nervous. So let's start with how long you've been an educator and what areas you specialize in. I've been an educator for over 23 years, but I'm only 35, so I don't know how that happened. <laughs> um, <laughs> I have taught everything from third grade through eighth grade. I have taught gifted education. I have taught remediation. I have taught special education, and I'm going to be teaching special education at the high school next year. Um, at the middle school level, I've taught English, science, math, and geography. So pretty much just, everything. Yeah, just about all of it. <laughs> and people wonder why I know so many things. Um, so what was your personal motivation to join the walkout? It was actually myself and most of my colleagues, we were striking for classroom funding more than anything, like even more so than a raise for ourselves. We needed our classrooms funded and um, that actually is something that did not happen. So when they tout this as a win for educators, most educators disagree with that. Yeah, my next question was, were you pleased with the results? So <laughs> I read your mind. Yeah, something like that. Um, so can you do a quick compare contrast between Oklahoma education and the state you currently live in? Okay, I sure can. Um, in Oklahoma, our classrooms are not funded well. Our curriculum was very old. Um, we had to buy a lot by, for, for ourselves. We had to buy mani manipulatives um, anytime we wanted to do a project, anything like that. And that wasn't just in one district. That was in every district I've ever taught in. And so, I mean, I taught in two affluent districts and then two a, a little more socioeconomic, um, a little bit lower socioeconomic economically. Um, but even in the affluent um, classes or schools, I had to pay for my own stuff. Um, for science projects, for art projects, for math manipulatives, um, any extracurriculum, anything that we wanted to add, we paid for. The school district I'm in now is in a different state. I moved two years ago. Um, and a big reason why I moved was the result of this uh, walkout. Um, first of all, I immediately got about a $12,000 $12, raise. 
Um, That's significant. It is significant. Um, and they only took 10 years of my education, or my education experience. So they took 10 years of my experience and I still got $10,000 or $12,000 more per year. That's, that is, yeah. again, significant for sure. Yeah, there was a tweet that went viral a few years ago of an Oklahoma textbook that a girl got in the second grade that Blake Shelton had when he was in second grade. If that tells you anything about our funding for curriculum. Yeah, it used to be a seven-year rotation, and then it became more of a 10-year rotation, and then it became more of, oh, well, whenever we can afford it, rotation. Right. So um, curriculum, uh, any extras, immunopulatives, anything like that. But my new school district, which is actually in a, a lower socioeconomic area in my state, um, they provide just about everything we ever want. Um, we needed new whiteboards that had a grid on the other side because I was teaching math this year. They bought us a classroom set and all the dry erase markers that we needed. Um, when the pandemic hit, we went one to full all one-to-one -one mm -hmm. for the entire district. The district has about 4,500 kids in it. No, wait, that's not right. Um, it's 4,500 just for the high school and middle school. So probably twice that. So about less than 10,000 kids, about 10,000. Okay. Um, we went full one-to-one -one for all kids, including preschool. Wow. Now preschool also had um, like manipulatives that they sent home and they, they had packets and stuff they sent home as well mm -hmm. because you can't, I mean, you can't let a four-year-old on a tablet all the time. Right. You know, they need some guidance. Yes. So. <laughs> Personal experience has taught me. Yeah. It's one-to-one. Every student has a Chromebook. Wow. And if they okay. didn't have internet access, we got them jetpacks so that they had internet access as well for everyone in the district. It's almost like education is important. It really is. I mean, it's viewed a lot more importantly. And um, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm shocked and amazed every day about the difference in, in the respect that educators get there is much better, much higher. Mm -hmm. um, I, I found that in Oklahoma, people just don't have the respect for teachers that they do in other states. And I find that really sad. I think that part of that is, or most of that is probably from um, the top down, from mm -hmm. From the way the government treats you, yep. and that's the model. That makes sense. Um, I was going to ask you if you have any stories that actually convey how, like personal stories you feel comfortable sharing, that actually convey how flawed the Oklahoma education system is. <laughs> Which Because I know you have many. Um, um, the first two that come to mind involve William, my brother, friend of the show who wrote our yes. theme. <laughs> um, and how he became a homeschooler, but also, uh, the story, your personal experience of September 11th. Wow. Um, September 11th, I was working for a charter school and, um, they were not paying us, nor did they give us keys to the building. And of course, September 11th is the middle of September about, and we still didn't have, we still hadn't been paid. That's we're about still... a month into the Oklahoma school year, right? Well, about six weeks. We're about six mm -hmm. weeks in for a charter school. And so um, I went into the office to give my resignation that day to the director. And I sit down and I have my resignation typed out. I was professional, leaving for professional reasons. And um, I was in the middle of that when the secretary came in and she said, um, we have lots of parents that want to check out their kids. And he was like, well, I don't know why. 
and she, she kind of went over and whispered to him. I didn't know what had happened. She kind of went over and whispered to him and he said, well, that's all the way across the nation. Why would they want to check other kids out here? Like that's not here. And so he was just appalled at the fact that people would want to come and get their kids. Um, during the, the worst recent history disaster. And yeah, the biggest yeah. terrorist attack on American soil. And well, in recent history, in yes. recent history. Yeah. So someone would like to know what a charter school is. A charter school is a school that's not, um, a, a it's not a state run school. It is private, private corporate corporations start charter schools. Um, one in Oklahoma that's well known as Epic, and Epic actually was founded by a guy who has a learning company also, and his learning company was profiting off of Epic, mm. and recently that just um, came to light. Yeah, that seems something. super that was, unethical. The yeah. I went to for like a second, my parents taught, put me there, and they're like, mm, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, but a charter school is owned by corporations, and it has to have something that anchors it, um, be it, you know, like a, a Oklahoma City School District will anchor some of them, but some of them are other rural places, um, but they don't have to follow the same guidelines that a state school follows. Um, they still get funding, and the problem that we've come across as educators in Oklahoma, and I this, this ironically has not happened where I am now at all, but um, we would have students that would start at a charter school, start the school year, and October 5th is a big year, or October, maybe it's the first, is a big date in the school year because that is the date you have to turn in your count, your student count. And so you turn in how many students, how many special ed students, how many gifted students, how many overall students, whatever. And so you get money based on those students. You get more for gifted and more for special ed, and then you get a set amount per student. Well, in charter schools, they just take all the money, compile it, and can do whatever they want with it. Like, it doesn't have to go towards curriculum. It doesn't have to go towards things. I mean, it can go towards anything. Yeah, instead of classroom, it can go into administrators' pockets. Right, which I have some stories about that, too, but that's a whole other other podcast. Anyway, so um, in Oklahoma, kids would join, like, an online or go to a charter school and some charter schools are online schools and they wouldn't like it. So they would come back and say like the end of October or November. And if they were special needs or if they were gifted, we didn't get any extra funding for them. And we didn't get funding at all for them as a student. Because that they had account. registered for the charter school. So a lot of charter schools try to get kids in initially mm-hmm. and then don't really care if they yeah. finish out the school year. If they don't finish, it doesn't matter because they already got the funding for them. Um, and that's especially true for like newer uh, charters that are just trying to start up. Mm-hmm. And then of it's course, all about the funding. Right. It's all about we've got to get started, you know, something to start up with. Mm-hmm. Seems like a good time for an ad break. So here are some ads. If I can unlock the mic. Hey there, Chase Vegas here. And I'm Cassidy Queerface. And we are one, two, three. The Uncanny Uncanny Dispatch. Dispatch. (laughs) We're a dark comedy podcast that brings you stories of murder, mysteries, mystical, and the macabre. We've done all sorts of stories so far. A werewolf exorcism. 
UFOs that burn people. An English prophetess. <laughs> oh, yeah. And all the murder. <laughs> you can find us on Spotify, Apple, Google, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Name the app. We're on it. Search for Uncanny Dispatch. Oh, and all you social media users, uh, we are on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Once again, the Uncanny Dispatch. You want to hear something horrible? <laughs> you know I do. She still said hi. And we're back from our ad break. Um, so, yeah, that's a lot uh, that you've had to deal with. So, I'm going to ask why, after so much abuse from the government, co-workers, parents, students, bosses, etc., you chose to stay in the teaching profession because, personally, I would find it really difficult to handle all of that for the potatoes and dirt they paid you here. And sometimes it really is difficult. I mean, sometimes it's really hard. Now, where I am now, I feel much more appreciated, and it's so much easier to go to work every day. Um, when I taught here... It was definitely my coworkers that I taught with and my kids. My kids, you know, I love every kid that's been in my classroom is in my kid forever. And I love those kids and I would do anything for them. And it, you know, I feel like they, you know, teachers have this, this thing where we want to save the world. Mm -hmm. We want the world to be better and we want to help any way we can to get there. And I feel like, um, Sometimes that's very taken advantage of and abused, but we still keep doing it just because if we don't do it, who's going to? That's, yeah, fair. It's kind of almost comparable to healthcare workers after, especially during this pandemic, um, where, you know, they have people screaming at them that it's all a hoax while they're dying and they watch their their coworkers die and they're not getting paid what they need to be paid and their hospitals are having funding cut and they're running out of supplies and PPE and all that and it's i feel like it's very comparable and the fact that people choose to stick around and do these jobs that are truly thankless jobs is really inspiring <laughs> well thanks but i feel like if in, in Oklahoma, are they having problems with that, with the, the cutting funding to hospitals and running out of things and all that? Um, I haven't heard much about it. I know that at one point we were running out of PPE, but I think that it may have been righted. Um, I think there was a lot of donations, which helped save our asses. Yeah. Sure. Like yeah. My company, yeah, we're, we do with utilities, but we donated like the thick leather gloves that we work with because they're puncture resistant. Yeah. And we also donated like almost $30,000 worth of PPE when, as soon as the first cases started showing up. Which would be very disheartening because I know that the uh, governor here sent back like $5 million or $11 oh, million yeah. of CARES money. Yeah, like he just decided sent... that we didn't need it. Yeah. yeah. So mm -hmm. that would... we'll pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. Fuck these frontline workers. Even though everyone who works here pays taxes. Mm hmm. Okay. Well, another reason why I left Oklahoma mm -hmm. is because <laughs> I, and, and I ran for office mm -hmm. and I, and I felt like I did a really good job and I got out and really talked to a lot of people. I mean, and stuff. you did get a quarter of the vote without any kind of corporate funding, which is really impressive. Well, and also, um, 60, about 63% of Oklahomans voted straight party mm -hmm. Republican and I'm an independent. So, right. um, when that happens, I can't make up that deficit. So, right. Um, but I did get out there and, 
and talk to people and really got to hear what people had to say and feel because I'm very empathetic. <laughs> Same. So, so, I mean, I really felt their plight. And I mean, your shirt says, humankind, be both. So, yeah, it does. Of course, yours says, <laughs> of course, mine says, always Robin Sure Banks. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, um, true story. And I didn't even know when we were, when I put this on today, I didn't even know we were going to have this conversation. Right. So, um, but I, I know a lot of people ran for office during that time and have tried since then to make a difference. And it, it just really felt like beating my head against a brick wall. And then I had personal problem issues on top of that. And I just um, needed to go someplace where I knew they valued me. That is valid and completely understandable. Can we talk really quickly about what all you were doing while earning your master's degree and how quickly you did that and why you chose to go back to school? Because it's an impressive story all around. <laughs> okay, well, I got my master's degree, which I did get it online with WGU, and I would tout them to the ends of the earth because I love them. They have a great program. Um, with that program, you pay for a set amount for six months, and whatever you can get done in six months is what you get done. And so at the time, it was like $3,000 for six months of work, whatever I could get done in those six months. Um, I was teaching and I was coaching and, you know, I have children and grandchildren mm -hmm. and um, I started in November and I finished the end of February, but I didn't get signed off until the beginning of March. So it was about five months that I finished my entire degree program for my master's and it wasn't an easy program. It's just... Um, the people were very accessible, and it helped that I had some background knowledge in it. Um, I did get my master's in special education because I wanted to go into special education. And uh, my bachelor's was in elementary education with uh, minors in English and science. So, Okay, and did that uh, have any impact on your pay or working conditions while you were still in Oklahoma? In Oklahoma, well, because I taught special ed, it did. I got 5% more. Ooh. Um, and then I got a minimal, like, I want to say $1,200 maybe mm -hmm. a year raise, which is, you know, <laughs> that was 12 ten, months. What, like $100 a month? That yeah. is very easily forgotten about or taxed away. Right. Um, um, mostly taxed away, I think. Um, anyway, so, and then I got 5% on top of that for special education. And that's part of why I went into special education because it did pay a little bit higher. Um, but I could also help the kiddos that um, I felt were kind of being overlooked a little bit. Especially, yeah, here in Oklahoma, it's one of those, when I was growing up, people in special ed were in classrooms that were hidden away from the rest of the school. Right. And I'm not sure how much that has changed. Um, it's, in Oklahoma, it's changed somewhat. There are still classrooms that are kind of hidden away um, with the more severe needs kids. Um but we're trying really hard to get a lot of kids into the co-teaching classes and to get them as independent as possible and, well, and integrated, right? And figure out how they best learn and teach them how they learn mm -hmm. so that they can use that as a tool. Um, there are some students that get very loud or have very high needs that may be in a classroom by themselves for the day. Um, but in the state I'm in now, we push a lot of kids out. Like, mm -hmm. almost all of them are out for something. 
That's good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because I worked for a nonprofit where I did day-to-day -day care for two people who had high needs. And um, part of my job was integrating them into their community, which they had never done their whole life. Right. Because that was something that the community was ashamed of, and we don't want to know that you even exist. Just stay in your house. Um, and so to know that that's changing even just a little bit is very heartening because, you know, people are people regardless of anything. Exactly. Well, and, our, and all students need to learn how to work together because out in the real world, we're all together. Yes. It's not like, oh, gifted students only work here and special mm -hmm. needs students only work here and, you know, common ed students just work here. It's not like that. No. We're all intermingled and we all need to know how to work together. And especially with the economy the way it is. There are yeah. people with bachelors and masters working the same jobs as people who have special needs. Yeah. And make... Probably similar wages, depending on living situations. Well, and I feel like a lot of students can learn a lot of things from students with special needs because um, they can teach them, like, unconditional love. Yes. And, and you know, they have such high character without even realizing it. They're mm -hmm. just good-hearted. Yes. So. Yes. That is very, very true. Um, I will say I'm very, very inspired by your devotion to your students. It's something that's always stuck with me is... No matter how much they would, like, beat you down at work and, like, whatever drama co-workers were stirring up or however um, the administration was trying to tear you down or parents who would come at you for something you had no control over, you always stuck with it and you always did what was best for your students. And that's something that's always stuck with me um, and has motivated me once or twice in my current career field. <laughs> Um, so my final question is, do you have any advice for new teachers or young people planning to go into teaching or education? Make sure that you do a lot of soul searching and that you can withstand the storms. Um, because there will be storms. Mm -hmm. It's not a perfect world out there. And you do have, um, you know, you do have people who come at you or people who don't understand, uh, I found that educating parents is a very high priority when we talk about their student. We ha have to educate parents. Um, I just feel like that's, that's really important. Stick with it if you can. If you can't, it's okay. Don't beat yourself up and, you know, feel like you failed or anything because it's really tough. It's really tough. It's really hard. Um, I mean, it is mostly emotional labor. We've had that discussion yeah. before. It is very emotional. It's very physical. Mm -hmm. People don't understand when you stand on concrete all day what that does to your legs and your back. Um, it's And it's not just standing one place. It's like walking around classrooms and stuff like that. Um, walking to and from places. It's very demanding in a lot of ways. But for me, I know that that these kids are the next generation and they're only going to know how to do better if we teach them how to do better and they need to do better than we did. And that's, I mean, that's my goal is just to, to teach them and love them. And that, yeah, that's, that's the big thing. Yeah. Love I them know, and be there. I know in some cases you are not only a teacher, but also sort of like a pseudo parent, depending on situations at home. Mm -hmm. And, 
you know, there's students that I know you've bought shoes for, and I know you've bought clothes for, and I know you've made sure had food while they were at school and even on weekends and stuff like that. And it's very inspiring to see that. Well, thank you. And I had, in Oklahoma, I had wonderful co-workers. I mean, my best friend is still here and she still teaches in my old district and I love her to the ends of the earth. Um, I have some great administrators, but even my administrator's hands have been tied. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, it, it really does roll downhill. So it starts at the top and the only way to make a difference is with a vote. And Mm -hmm. we need some people to run that are willing to make changes in education and in mental health, because that's one of our biggest obstacles in education is the lack of mental health care. So, I mean, I know that's a whole nother podcast that we could get into later. Oh, I'm sure I'll be doing an episode (laughs) over the way mental health is treated in Oklahoma, because up until I had my big, my big incident where I was hospitalized, it was very much, well, it's, don't talk about that. Don't let people know that you're not doing well. Mm-hmm. Um, fake it till you make fake it. Fake it till you make it, mm-hmm. which is so toxic and terrible. Like it's so ridiculous. In the military, like nobody's business. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah, I'm sure the military has its own issues with that. Right. I yeah. mean, you can just sure. look at the number of veterans. What is it? Twenty six a day. Twenty six. Twenty two a day. I thought it was more than that. It was. On average, twenty two a day veterans. How is that okay in anybody's world? It's just not okay. It's not. And the fact that we've made that like a standing point is part of the problem. It shouldn't be, oh, it's 22 a day. You realize that's an entire battalion a month. It's It's not one branch. That's all of them combined. And I feel like if we could start healthy mental health practices at a younger age so that they have coping skills and things like that, that maybe as an adult, it wouldn't be so difficult or so hard to find help. Right. So I do. Yeah. I believe that wholeheartedly, which is why we're going down the path we are with Nova. So, because I know what it's like to have, you know, unresolved childhood trauma that comes back in your twenties. Right. (laughs) Or thirties. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so yeah, I just want to say thank you very much because you, I know you've made a huge difference in a lot of people's lives doing your job. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me on and thank you for that. Thank you for the kind words. I appreciate it a lot. I mean, (laughs) I'll try not to cry. (laughs) You're very welcome. What, I've known you for what, like two and a half, three years? Mm -hmm. And you've inspired me to go back to school. Oh, good. And. Yeah. Oh. Like. You've unintentionally, like, we've helped each other mentally. Mm-hmm. We have. And there's times it was scary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was like, you want me to keep what kind of secret? <laughs> <laughs> it was like the first time you guys were alone together. <laughs> it really isn't that bad, people. It's okay. It's, yeah. No, it's, it was... it's, it's, it's been resolved. Like, things... That, I, Steps have been taken and all that. It's not, it's not. It's no, not. it's not like mass homicide or anything. No, no, no. Like... But, um, so on that note, do you have any fun facts about Oklahoma? Fun facts about Oklahoma? My goodness. Um, 
Wow, that one kind of threw me off guard. Right? I was not prepared for that. Oh. Oh. Unprepared. Where's your Girl Scout at? I know. Ah. Um, hmm. Gosh, there's so many things, but I don't know where. The first shopping cart. Okay. Do we know that one? I, I don't think yes. I, I, we didn't, uh, I, I don't think it's made it into an episode, though, has it? No, I don't think it is. No, uh, I did uh, the one I was thinking of. Was, parking meter. No, I was thinking first pay-per-view was in Oklahoma. Oh, yeah, we did do that one, and we did okay. the first uh, parking meter, which, of course, but finish yours out. Oh, the first shopping cart was invented in Oklahoma. That's awesome. Yay. Oklahoma really is strange. It, mm. <laughs> yeah. yeah, come visit for, like, three days, and you'll leave with a lot of stories. That's right. I have lots. We can do this again sometime. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> All right, well, thank you again. All right, thank you. Thank you for listening. Um, Some pluggables. We've got Michael Barwick 3 on TikTok. We did live and it was a lot of fun. Uh, you can find Oklahoma Strange on Facebook and Instagram. Donate as little as a dollar to our cash app, cash tag Oklahoma Strangers, to become a producer. Thank you to executive producer Stephanie Cordray, who was our guest today. Executive producer Andrew Wilmers. Producers uh, Chelsea Mears. Taylor Cook. Oh, not yet. Taylor Kelly, Eli Cook. They're getting married at the end of this week, though. Um, Katie Sanders, Glenn Sanders, Faye Sanders, Charles Barwick, Diane Barwick, Connie, Connie Story, Holly Yarbrough, Jay England, Kelly England, Deb England, The Blue Rider. Um, I don't have my list in front of me. But that sounds right. That sounds about right. I really hope I didn't forget you. If I did, send us an email um, and remind me at oklahomastrange at gmail.com. I love you guys. Stay safe and stay strange.